Good morning. He gave his life on the cross. I hope that's resonating with you this morning. To make your home within my heart, that was word saying. That's true. That's true. What a faithful God you are. We sung about that this morning, the faithfulness of God. In the words of that song, I can't believe, I can't believe. How can it be? And I know some struggle, and especially this week. I can't believe they're struggling with this idea that God is faithful, and how can we believe the, uh, the terrible, terrible tragedy in uh, Parkland, Florida? I know it's pressing people uh, about how God can be faithful. I wish I had words for... Uh, parents who lost children. And it's difficult to have any words. How can you console a a mother or a father who sent their child to school in the morning and a child didn't return because their child was confronted by evil? And now prayer, prayer is being ridiculed. That someone would offer prayers being ridiculed, and uh, I don't think we should ridicule prayer. I still believe in prayer. Uh, Do I think something should be done about the sort of the wild west uh, of our country? Yeah, but it's not going to stop me from praying, and I hope it doesn't stop you from praying. Nate uh, Hood said this morning, prayer is a powerful part of our life. And I wonder, do we believe it today? I hope we believe it today. He gave his life on the cross to make his home in our heart. And I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep praying regardless of the evil that uh, comes into our life. Because I do believe our God is bigger than it. And I don't want it to be ridiculed. I, uh, I thought, how, you know, how can you speak about something so heinous and terrible? I saw an article written a number of years ago by a, a, a Reverend Douglas Fisher. He is from Christ Church in uh, western Massachusetts. He was about 70 miles west, or 70 miles, uh, I think, to the north, actually, of Sandy Hook, Connecticut. And he wrote this, and made some sense to me, and I just thought I'd share it with you. He wrote, our salvation is not just an idea. Salvation is a person. Don't we need to know that now, perhaps more than ever before? I find it fascinating that at Christmas in 2012 in Newtown, Connecticut, right after the horrific tragedy of the shootings at Sandy Hook Elementary School, all the churches still had held their Christmas pageants, even though some of the children who had performed in those who would have performed in those pageants had died. The community needed the Christmas story. They needed to believe that a baby named Salvation is still among us. And we need to believe that today. And I want to talk about that baby named Salvation today. We have a school here and we are uh, being vigilant and diligent and uh, just... A week ago, Thursday, the Sterling Heights uh, 
public safety department. They were here and they gave a presentation. There was 250 people here from churches uh, across Macomb County and others just to you know, hear about how we can be vigilant and uh, diligent. And uh, on a week ago, Saturday, I spent the day with our safety team uh, at a seminar that was just excellent, gave us a lot of uh, insight. But we're not living in fear. And I want you to know that. We're not living in fear. We're not living in unfounded fear because of the baby named Salvation. If you are uh, visiting with us today, I want you to know that we've been reading through God's Word together. There's power in God's Word. We believe it. We believe in the power of the Word. We believe in the power of prayer. It's been a blessing that is bringing unity to this body. It's bringing unity to this church. It's a blessing that I know many of you have been part of, and you've been encouraging about it. And, and I keep receiving emails and handwritten letters, and they're a blessing. We are going to continue to move through God's Word together this year. We've covered the books of Genesis and Exodus. And if you want to pick up, if you're uh, visiting, we have right here in our, our bulletin the plan that continues. You can pick up right where we are and join in with us. Or you can go online and you can catch up. There's the, the whole uh, plan is online. It wouldn't take too long to catch up. We have read about the lives of Adam and Noah, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and uh, Jacob, and their narratives in the Bible, and all that they went through. They went through pain and suffering and all kinds of things, but they continued to keep their faith in God. We read about Joseph and Moses and the whole exodus from the land of Egypt. And now if you've been keeping up, God is giving the, the... uh, the outline for sacrifices. The book of Leviticus, we've covered the first seven chapters. It's all about offerings. And it should remind us of something very serious. And that is the severity of sin. The offerings were to atone for sin. And it should not escape our notice that sin was so awful. It was an offense to God. And he He required something for sin, and he required a blood sacrifice. But we've also touched on the New Testament. We've read the complete book of Mark, so we've already been to the cross. And the final blood sacrifice in Jesus Christ, we've covered some of the New Testament letters as well that have expounded on what Jesus has accomplished for all of us. This week, we completed the book of Philippians, and most of the letter to the Colossians. And we've also um, been covering some of the Psalms. And some of the Psalms, if you've been noting, they paralleled some of the experiences that have been talked about in the various other books we've been reading. This Sunday have been, or this, this Sunday mornings in February have been covering some of the books uh, or chapters in the book of Psalms, picking up a thread from each of these psalms, and that is that the psalms declare something, and they declare the Lord is. We began two weeks ago talking about the Lord is God. And who is God to you? From Psalm 105, verse 7, we read, He is the Lord our God. Who is this He? He is the, the God Jehovah of the Old Testament, that's what the psalm was referring to, the self-existent one, the I am. 
And we talked about, was there a limit on the memory of God's people? Because we paralleled this to the exodus of these Hebrew people. And it seemed there was a limit on their memory. Three days was their limit on what on the power of God. That's what it seemed like for the Hebrew people. Brought out of bondage in Egypt, saved, crossed the Red Sea, all that three days. And in three days they were grumbling. They saw all these miracles. And then they were confronted by bitter water after three days. And what did they say? Lord, he's not God. He can't take care of the problem. The matter of God, it has to be settled. That has to be the foundation. You can't move forward unless the Lord is God. And so we, we put that out there that first Sunday. Is the Lord your God only when he's just going in front of you uh, in power and taking care of all your enemies? Is the Lord only God on your day of victory? Or is the Lord God every day, forever? even if it's not a great day. And it has to be settled every day that the Lord is God. And if that foundation is set, then God is our help. He is our, we can trust him. We know his name. His name is Jesus. And last week we talked about Jesus and help and trust, starting with Psalm 33. What did Psalm 33 say? No king can be saved by the size of his army. You can't look to the horse and its great strength for deliverance. The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. And he is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice because we trust in his holy name. The holy name is Jesus. Jesus is the one we trust. We considered the example of the apostle Paul who was writing to the Philippians. And how was he writing? He was writing in chains. He was in... uh, under Roman arrest for two years. He wasn't a free man. And he wrote, I'm in chains. He wrote it three times in the opening chapter of the book of Philippians. And then how did he follow up with that? I'm in chains. I rejoice. Because of this, I rejoice. Sounds sort of contrary, doesn't it? But he could rejoice because there was something greater than his circumstance. Now we've completed that letter uh, to the Philippians. We completed that last week. And if you were reading through or noticing anything about joy, the apostle used the term for joy over 16 times. Paul's hope, his peace, his trust weren't based on his problem. It wasn't based on his circumstance. He wasn't in chains grumbling. He was not immune to the trials of life. But he was unwavering in his devotion to Jesus Christ. His trust was anchored into something, and that was Jesus, who was his help. He could write with absolute, 100% confidence, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. Didn't matter to him. He said, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because what the Lord was God. Jesus was God to him. The Lord is Jesus. And he had that settled that God, God was Jesus, Jesus was God, and that he was the unchangeable, almighty God of creation. He's our help. He's also our salvation. We've sung about that today. God is the God of our salvation. And I want to use this morning Psalm 27 to speak to this. 
to speak to this, that God is the God of our salvation. And I want to read to you the first five verses of Psalm 27. This is a psalm that David wrote, and he wrote this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Psalm 27, David wrote. We don't know why he wrote it. We don't know what incident in his life. Some of the Psalms, we get uh, evidence and we know why he wrote them. This one, to, to pick a point in his life where he wrote it would just be mere speculation. It's unknown. But we do know this about the man. He was a warrior. He saw battles. He had trouble. He wasn't always victorious. But as a warrior, it's evident that David was looking back and he's given testimony about his past victories, his past battles. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear, he could write. Though war break out against me, even then, I'm going to be confident why he had his foundation set. God was God. He knew the Lord. And he knew that the Lord was God. He trusted in the Lord. And he could write, the Lord is my light and the Lord is my salvation. So who am I, who, who am I going to fear? I'm not going to fear anyone because I got the Lord. He's the stronghold of my life. So who am I going to be afraid of? He wasn't walking in darkness. He was not walking in darkness the Lord was his light. He wasn't lost. He was in the light of his Savior, his Lord God. And he said, the Lord is my salvation. And I want to focus on this word salvation today. This word implies all that David would need for his safety, for his protection. God is my salvation. He's going to keep me. And then he parallels this. There's, there's a parallel the Lord is my light and my salvation. He is the stronghold of my life. Stronghold is a, a parallel to salvation. And what is a stronghold? There's a, lot of, there's a lot of talk in Christian circles about what a stronghold is, and it's often a bad thing, and the devil's got a stronghold on you, but that's got nothing to do with this stronghold that David's talking about. Because the word means something. A stronghold is a place of strength. It is a fortified place. It's a place of security and safety. It's a defensive place, a stronghold, a citadel, a fortress. It's a safe harbor, a refuge. It's a place where one goes to be safe from the enemy. And God is often described in the Old Testament as a stronghold. He is the place of protection for those who seek refuge. His word says, I am a strong tower. The righteous run in and they're safe. Solomon wrote that. And here in Psalm 27, as is mostly the case in the whole Testament, 
Stronghold appears in this positive context describing God as a protector and a refuge from the enemy. And of course that parallels and is synonymous with the word salvation. But David didn't write that God merely gives salvation, did he? He didn't write God is salvation. He wrote God is my salvation. And I want to point out a couple of things here about God is my salvation. There's a distinction here with this word my. My is a a possessive word, a personal possessive. And I, I know for the grammar people, it's an adjective. Don't write me. I know that. That's the technicality. It's, but many call it a personal possessive pronoun. When we began this series, we talked about the Lord is our God. Then the Lord is our help. And our is also one of these plural uh, possessives. It's a possessive that's collective. It's speaking to a group, our. The Lord is our God. The Lord is our help. But David changes that. And he, he uses this personal possessive, my. The Lord is my salvation. It's personal. It's one thing to say that the Lord is salvation, but it's quite another thing to say that the Lord is my salvation. This little teeny word, this two-letter word, my, it is a great big word of significance because it speaks to something that is possessed. Only a person, only a person can say my. If I say my home, it's because it belongs to me. I say my wife, she belongs to me. My, my daughter, she belongs to me. God is my salvation, he wrote. That means something. There's a belonging there, a connection. Salvation belongs to me. It's personal. And, and number two, another point. Salvation is more than an abstract Salvation is not something that is a a technical term, a theological term. Salvation, as I read from that little article earlier, salvation is a person. Not only has David used this my, this personal possessive, but he's indicated that salvation rests in God alone, the Lord alone. The Lord is my salvation. For David that was important. It, it was meaningful. And who was this Lord? He is, as we discussed two weeks ago, the I am, the self-existent, self-sufficient one, the Jehovah God. That, that's who David knew as God. Who is it for us? For us, we know more. We are in the new covenant. For us, that name is Jesus Christ. And when you have that personal faith, personal, my personal faith to believe, like David of the Old Testament who said, the Lord is my salvation, we can individually say, Jesus is my salvation. And I hope you're at that place today where you can actually declare that. You can say that in your own heart and in your own mind. You can look in the mirror, look yourself in the eye and say, Jesus is my salvation. 
Because Jesus is not the salvation of the church. I know that, you know, he is, and we can say he is the salvation of the church and the world. But it's personal. It's because we're a group that can say, Jesus is my salvation. Faith in Jesus is personal. When we go on from this life, the church isn't going to stand before God with me. No, I'm going to stand personally. I've heard people say things like, well, my salvation is my music or my salvation is my art. And what does that mean when someone says something like that? It's, it's something that to them it's very personal. And they immerse themselves in it to be out of the world, to be safe from the world, to be secure from the world, to, to not have any thought uh, of the world. They immerse themselves into this and they're carefree. Their own music, their own art, they're completely uh, you know, free from outside influence. So they say, this is, this is where I go for my salvation. But there is no greater salvation. There is no greater security. There is no greater freedom than with Jesus. You can immerse yourself in all kinds of things, but we have to immerse ourselves in Jesus. It is no coincidence that the name of Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. God is salvation. It's personal salvation. His name is salvation. There is no coincidence in that. David could write, the Lord is my salvation. God sent his only son and he named him salvation. Salvation is alive in Jesus Christ. We sung this morning, salvation is here. And we have to believe that with all our heart. The Lord Jesus is my light and my salvation. And you might say, well, that's all well and good. And I get it. You can, you can talk to me all about that. But what do I need to be saved from? What is this salvation all about after all? Well, the Old Testament alluded to it. And if you read those first se- seven chapters of the book of Leviticus, it, it should start to sink in. Sin was a problem. And God said, you need, to, you need to give sacrifice for sin. And they're all listed there. And I am so thankful I got Jesus. And I don't have to be doing that anymore. You might not believe you need to be saved from sin. You might think, oh, well, that's, you know, that's an old, that, that book is dusty and 2,000 years old. But there is a penalty now, this, is, this is why it was so serious. God described this, all these animals that had to be brought because there was a penalty for offending God, for disobedience, for sin. And without, without paying for that penalty, there is no salvation. So what's the alternative? Well, the alternative is divine judgment and wrath. And we don't like to hear about that. Don't talk to me about wrath, please. Can't you be more positive? Well, yeah, I can be a lot more positive. There's a way out of the wrath. You don't need divine judgment and wrath. We've got the solution. Is Colossians chapter 3 fresh in your minds? 
Those of you who read it on Friday, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, what did the apostle write? Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Believe it or not, it's coming because of sin, our sin. But we have the solution, the final sacrifice, Jesus, Jesus, my salvation. He became the object of God's wrath for me. Thank you. Thank you. He became the object of God's wrath and judgment for my sin so that I could have peace with God and experience the great love he has shown in Jesus as my very own salvation. You can say that today. You can say that personally when you believe that Jesus did that for you. This is how Paul put it to the Colossian church. And it's a refresher from our our reading on Wednesday. I want to read to you Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. It's the solution. Paul wrote that he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. God has rescued us from darkness, brought us into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There it is. Paul was in chains when he wrote this to the Colossians. He was suffering. But he wrote, Jesus has rescued us from darkness. He makes the darkness tremble. Jesus is my light. And in Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is my salvation. Paul, could he could declare that. David, who wrote it a a thousand years before Paul, he was pointing forward. David wrote, God is my light and salvation. He was pointing forward and he was pointing to Jesus. As the whole of the Old Testament does, it points to Jesus, pointing to the redemption of Jesus, God of salvation. I said that our foundation had to be settled, that the Lord is God, that Jesus is Lord and he is God. And that is precisely what Paul wrote to these uh, people in the city of Colossae. Jesus rescued us from darkness and in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And the very next lines that Paul wrote are these in Colossians 1, 15 and 16. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He's God. For in him, All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. I don't think that leaves anything out. What does it say about Jesus? He is the God of creation. Jesus is God. And we can say it like David said it, but we can insert the name that we know, Jesus. Jesus is my light. Jesus is my salvation. And then we can continue with the thought, can't we? Can we? The thought that Paul had, whom shall I fear? Do you have Jesus this morning? Can you say, whom shall I fear? Can can you go on to say, Jesus is the stronghold of my life? You know, if you use that word stronghold, please say, Jesus is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
Uh, David, who was testifying of, of days of uh, battle and saying things like, though an army besiege me and my, my heart will not fear, the wall, war break out uh, against me, even then will I be confident. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. And how can we be confident of that? How can we be confident of that when life is pain? When life is hardship, when, where is this light? Where is this salvation? When you feel besieged, when you feel there's an army coming against you, when you're having a day of trouble and you were not kept safe, how can you say this? How could David say it? He will keep me safe in his dwelling. We know he saw his own fair share of hardship and misery. But he also had his days of deliverance. This New Testament apostle who's writing these letters to the Philippians and the Colossians, this is the guy that got bit by a viper, bit on the hand, and he shook it off. No venomous illness. He didn't start dying from a venomous snake bite. He was saved. He was delivered. Yet in another day of trouble, the man was beheaded. He wasn't kept safe in that day of trouble. How can this be reconciled with Scripture? It doesn't make any sense. Unless there's more to it than this life. The goal of this life is not this life. The goal of this life is eternal. It's eternal life. So Paul, you know, who was beheaded, was the same man who wrote, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he also wrote this. This is Colossians chapter 3. And it should be fresh in our minds. He wrote, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died. Verse 3, for you died. Why did he write, you died? If you read chapter 2, you know that he said you died in Christ and you were resurrected with him. You put to death this thing called sin when you came to Christ and you died with him. He mentions baptism. You were baptized into him and you died and you resurrected. And he's continuing this thought in chapter 3, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And there it is. There is the goal. To be in Christ, who is your life, is to say, Jesus is my salvation, is to be confident that our life is in him, eternal life. Despite the pain and hardship we feel in this world, our life here is now going to include suffering. I'll guarantee that to you. If there's anyone who has never suffered in this room, please raise your hand. It's unanimous. We will feel pain in this life. And we will feel suffering. But there's a greater life to look forward to. And it's eternal life. Paul opened that letter to the Colossians with a prayer. Because prayer is powerful. And we still believe in it. And he prayed for all those people. And he ended with this. 
I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. He was suffering. Does this mean God's word is null and void? No. He was suffering. It did not keep him from prayer. It did not keep him from pointing out our ultimate aim is eternal and it is to appear with him in glory beyond this world, beyond this life. So in the day of trouble, the ultimate day of trouble, the day we would bid this final life goodbye, we can be confident and say, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And can you say that this morning? Is that something you can say? Because if you can't, you really should take care of it this morning. I would... I wouldn't want to close this service without saying, if you've never really settled that completely in your heart and that you can say with confidence, Jesus is my salvation, take care of it today. Take care of it today. A day of trouble is coming. And the final day of trouble is coming. And if your aim is an eternal, everything in this life's fleeting. And we know the reality of the world is we don't know our day or our hour. And you you can't put it off because there is a reason that Jesus came and it was to take care of a thing called sin so that we could have eternal life. Let's stand to our feet and before we close this morning, I want to make that invitation to anyone here to yield your life over to Jesus. He's our God, our creator. When when we can read a guy who is suffering and yet he's saying, you know, Jesus is the God of salvation and he will save you. And you'll appear with him in glory. That's amazing. And Paul basically knew what he was facing. He was facing his end. And that's what occurred to him. He had his final day of trouble. 